टी हेल्थ शो योर मेरिकल लाइफ स्टाइल पॉडकास्ट ब्रोट टू यू बाय दी क्लिनिक Good morning I'm Dr Mark this is for Tea Health show and today we are going to talk about why people are getting fatter and diets not working so I've invited functional nutritionist Nikki Roberts morning Nikki it's good to have you back on the show Good morning thank you so much and sister Elise van Aert and our producer Sampriwe morning girls Good morning Good morning Okay Nikki yes. um Obesity is a new pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um if we look at the statistics of the last 20 years, obesity has more than doubled mm-hmm. in adults as well as in children and the incidence um if we look at what's happening for instance in the United States, the incidence of obesity at the moment sits above 45% for adults and above 40 for children under the age of mm. 12. Yeah. Um which is absolutely shocking. Mm. Why is this happening? All right. So if we look back and you say over the last 20 years and it is over the last 20 to almost 30 years, 20 to 30 years ago we were cooking our own food at home. We depended far less on <coughs> you know manufacturers to feed us. We ate real food, tended to eat more real food. which was more satiating so it means when you eat something home cooked even if it's not perfect you tend to feel more satisfied you'll eat less in the long term but when we are eating highly processed foods foods that come in a box with a barcode and there are ingredients on there that we wouldn't keep in our kitchen it is going to start disrupting the endocrine system so we think we're just eating food but what we're doing is we are affecting the systems in the body that regulate insulin expression we'll get into insulin expression as we go along but insulin is the hormone that decides for us whether we are going to store fat or use it for energy it's mm. really simple mm. so when we go on a diet we either think of you know we think of weight loss in terms of either moving more and eating less we think of it in terms of counting calories which is fine but it's not the whole story and we think of it in terms of restricting certain food groups so cutting out carbs um doing something drastic which always works initially everything works initially but very few of these things work in the long term because they're counterintuitive to survival i i like what you said i i just want to establish a definition about what obesity is mm. Um so see least if you have to venture a guess what do you think of these steers Why me <laughs> <laughs> You didn't give me the questions <laughs> No be- because you know what you're a medical specialist and I actually think that people don't understand what obesity is It's not just being fat that's that's the thing It's mm. not being fat mm. it's accumulation of adipose tissue in the visceral area in the abdominal area and you become obese when that collection of fat is not equal to the rest of your body okay so gotcha. you know what um you, you see these people who have skinny arms and skinny legs mm-hmm. but with a very large trunk that's obesity Yeah so it doesn't just look like a big person sometimes. Yeah. And in children it's very hard to to see sometimes. So markers of obesity is a elevated hip to waist ratio. So yes. It's a muffin top. So when you see somebody walking down the street and they've got an overflow 
coming over the top of their jeans. They might not look terribly overweight. That's your first sign of inflammation is that muffin top. Also, putting down fat between the neck and the shoulders. That is a, a bio or a physiological sign that that person is insulin resistant. So that's what the body's storing. You know what? Um, if, if we think it's got definitely to do with hormones mm. because um, cortisol, which is a steroid hormone, yeah. Um, when you take lots of cortisone, yes. you develop that hump, mm-hmm. that fatty hump yeah. on the back of your neck. Mm-hmm. And obesity does exactly the same because of the influence on the hormones. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned hip-waist ratio. And I think we just need to quickly classify this. If you take... Um, these two measurements, I think yeah. the, one, the first one that we should maybe look at is abdominal circumference. Mm-hmm. Now, Simpiwe, mm-hmm. abdominal circumference, circumference around uh, your belly button mm-hmm. or just under your belly button. What do you think is a normal ratio for men Ooh, or I a, a measurement no for men? <laughs> Um, I don't know. I, th- I what is like one sixty-five centimeters, I guess. One sixty-five around your abdomen. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing centimeters. Okay, so <laughs> normal one for yes. men, forty inches. It's one hundred and two centimeters. One hundred and two. One hundred and two centimeters. Guess what it is for women. Should be. I'm guessing a bit lesser than that. Oh, so, how much less? So I would say what. 32? 32 inches, 88 centimeters. That's a normal abdominal circumference. Sure. So abnormal would be if you like above that, like uh-huh. 65, so the one I mentioned. It's a waist like that. Mm. So, you know, it's if we look at the majority of people that we see around us today, they have an increased abdominal circumference. I don't know when's the last time that you've been to an Afrikaans music <laughs> festival. I've never attended one of those. Okay. So just think about when is the last time that you've been to an African wedding or an African. Mm-hmm. Okay. And look at the people around you. Okay. So it's only the Kenyans that get away with law. Kenyans and and. and Ethiopians because they run Okay and then we have The waist hip ratio Um, And That is if you Measure around your hips Mm -hmm. And you measure around your waist And you divide The two together Mm -hmm. uh, Or between one another And um, A normal waist hip ratio for men Is one to one One to one and for women, women it's 0. 0.8. 0. 0.8. Mm. So in other words, the waist mm-hmm. should be a little bit smaller than the hips. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you, you take your waist circumference and you divide it by your hip mm. circumference. And that's normal. And the moment that it changes, that the waist circumference is bigger than the uh, um, hip circumference, there's underlying problems. Nikki, the other thing that um, we often speak about is body mass index. Mm. Body mass index is not a really an accurate measure for specifically insulin resistance because, you know, it is your weight multiplied by your height. And if you are a short person but you're very athletic and you've got a lot of muscle mass, you will have a higher BMI. 
I'm I'm one of these people. Mm-hmm. I have a BMI of 28. Mm-hmm. And it's it's not really an indicator of being obese. So we look at things like body fat percentage. We want that to be in the low 20s to early teens. And your waist hip circumference is probably your best, look, the best indicator of whether or not you are putting on waist uh, Wait. or uh, visceral fat is mm. your clothing. So if your jeans do up nice and easily and you don't have a overhang and you feel like you can breathe <clears throat> when you're sitting down, excuse me, um, you are probably in pretty good shape. And if you're not increasing your clothing size every year because you're putting on weight every year as you age, then you're pretty much doing well. Is this why there's a new trend of these high-waisted <laughs> elastic <laughs> jeans? <laughs> Just to keep everything in place. I hate them. It looks so terrible. It's terrible. And it is. It's almost like giving up and giving in. It's like, well, you're resigning yourself to the fact that as you get older, you're going to put on weight. You don't put on weight as you age. It's only if you become more sedentary and you develop bad eating habits as you age and you resign yourself to the fact that it's age-related. It's certainly not. That is simply giving up on life as far as I'm concerned. We should be more concerned about movement and about watching what we eat and getting enough sleep as we age so that we can age better and not be sort of resign ourselves to age-related disease or what we call age-related disease. So let's circle back. Why are people getting fat? So we spoke about food, that uh, food is far more readily available. Instead of you having to cultivate and harvest and mm-hmm. prepare, mm-hmm. you climb out of your car and you walk into a shop and you take something off a shelf. Mm-hmm. And people actually think that they are healthy. I don't yeah. know. Simpiwe, how long have you had, well, that, <laughs> that brand of food <laughs> lying in your fridge? Um, for a few years. I, I'd like no, no, to- no, no. Without it spoiling. Without it spoiling. It's like oh. a, a week. You buy something like at the beginning of the month and you like. And it's still in the, in your fridge. Like two weeks later. And you're like, great. Time. Yeah. And you're mm-hmm. like, and I can pop this in the microwave or like, let me just heat it up. Mm. And you know what's worse is it's it's the things that you consider healthy. It's like, it's not necessarily the burgers <clears throat> that you buy at like the fast food restaurants. It's mm. all the other things that you're like, oh, I just bought this. Like a, it's it's like very, a, it's yes. very interesting. Interesting that you say if you buy fruit and vegetables at a grocer, Mm -hmm. okay, and I'm not going to name names. Within two or three days, if you haven't eaten them, they start spoiling. Elise, have you noticed that? But if you buy at one of the chain stores, they, you know, you they can last in your in your fridge for weeks, Mm -hmm. and we think it's healthy. So it's it's. The processing of the food, like mm-hmm. you said. I think um, let's take a look at some of the other um, causes of weight gain. Our lifestyle has changed. As you said, we're becoming more sedentary. We're sitting more. Um, you sit and work. Mm-hmm. You relax and you sit and relax. Mm-hmm. You play and sit mm-hmm. um, because most of the things now are online. Mm-hmm. Um and that is incredibly bad for us, not only from a weight perspective, but from a cardiovascular perspective. We're not picking up heavy things as much as we should and 
building muscle density. Muscle is an endocrine organ and it uses glucose efficiently. So when we are making a point of picking up heavy things during the day and moving our muscles and growing our muscles, we are more insulin sensitive. So the receptors on the muscle cell can use glucose more efficiently. So when we eat carbohydrate-rich foods, we have an abundance of glucose in the body, which tells the pancreas to express insulin. Insulin is like the Uber, which goes and picks up these glucose passengers, first sends it to the liver so we can store a little bit in case we need, sends some glucose to the brain so that we can think, and to all the other tissues that are insulin-sensitive. But then there's an abundance left over, so it puts it into fat storage. Mm. Now, if we are building muscle every day, and I'm not talking about bodybuilding, I'm talking about just you know, being conscious of picking up heavy things and doing even a short workout, uh, there's going to be much left, less left over to go into fat storage and more of those resources can go into building muscle, which is the foundation of youth. And it's also what we can actively do, all of us can do to prevent getting sick, prevent getting diabetes, is to be conscious of that endocrine organ and how we can optimize it for our own use, for our best, our best health, really. Absolutely. Mm. Okay, so sedentary lifestyle plays a very big role. I think, too, that people are completely unaware of is, number one, sleep. Absolutely. So if you don't sleep properly, you will secrete insulin and Mm. cortisol Mm -hmm. and... That leads to inflammation and your cortisol, what it does, guys, cortisol releases glucose into your bloodstream, further elevating that, and that then gets put into fat storage because you don't use it. So, you know, when people tell me that they get cravings for sugar, my first question is, what did you do yesterday? And they go, well, what has yesterday got to do with today? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so it starts off with sleep is how well did you sleep? But if you're not getting enough sleep or you're going to bed too late or for whatever reason and you're waking up tired or you're battling to wake up in the morning, the first thing you're going to think of is I need – my brain needs to switch on. I need coffee and I need sugar in that. So I've got instant energy. So the thing that drives cravings first and foremost is exhaustion or is you know, a form of adrenal stress or adrenal pressure on the body. Sleep is critical for fat loss, especially visceral fat loss, or or should we call it uh, metabolism. Mm. And the reason why is because if we are not getting enough sleep, our circadian rhythm is disrupted, and our circadian rhythm is the master controller for our hormones. And it will switch on, switch off, appropriate or inappropriate cortisol production, which switches on and off excess insulin production. Which that is the bedrock for diabetes. So, and many people don't get enough sleep. Well, actually, um, in our practice, Elise, we always ask our patients two questions. Mm. When you wake up in the morning, are you refreshed? And very few of them say yes. Mm -hmm. Most of them say no. Mm -hmm. The next question that we ask them is, do you snore? And the majority of people admit that they snore. And immediately that raises a red flag with us. And my follow-up question is, how many hours of sleep do you get? And they say, yeah, somewhere between seven and eight or six and eight and Mm -hmm. da-da-da. Now, ideally, we should sleep closer to nine hours. Yep. 
per day, but I don't have enough time in my day to sleep that long. And I'm, you know what, I also battle to sleep. So it's, it's a bit of an issue for me. But it's more important to think about if I get more than six hours of sleep a night and I do not wake up refreshed in the morning, where's the problem? Is it the hours that you're not sleeping or is it the quality of sleep? And usually it's the quality of sleep. And here we start looking at um, obstructive breathing, insomnia, apnea, and um, a bad sleep hygiene. Mm -hmm. And that has a role to play. Okay, so next one. Do you want to venture a guess? We've done diet, exercise, sleep. Ah, obvious, stress. Yes. Big one. Okay. <laughs> mm. Nikki? So yeah, stress is, you know, when I see people who are really compliant, and I mean, they're eating well, they're exercising, they're really trying to get their sleep sorted, and we're not winning with the visceral fat loss, um, stress is almost always the biggest culprit. And the reason is because when we're not feeling safe, now there's a really interesting connection here, and men and women are very different when mm -hmm. it comes to how our bodies cope with stress and how they respond to stress. <coughs> so when we've got the presence of estrogen in the case of, say, uh, estrogen dominance, so women with too much estrogen, and they are in an environment where they are stressing to the extent that they don't feel safe. So they don't feel safe either in their relationship. They don't feel safe financially. They don't, they don't know what the future is holding. Those women seem to be more resistant to losing body fat than anybody else example. And the reason for this is because estrogen is a hormone that since the beginning of time has kept us safe. It keeps you in the cave, developing body fat around your midsection and your thighs so that you can nurture babies. Okay, And if the environment isn't safe, it's going to tell us, well, maybe there's going to be no food tomorrow, so we can't afford to lose fat. Fat is, in, is an insurance policy out, you know, out in the wilderness, and our bodies are then therefore geared to making more insulin and ensuring that we store more fat. So from a stress point of view, it's really, really important if you're battling with especially visceral fat is to start working on the psychology side of things and figuring mm. out, because you might say, well, I don't feel unsafe. Um, I've got lots of money. I'm in a secure relationship. But on some level, perhaps there's something in your life where you're just not feeling safe. I, unpacking that is important. I think, and we talk about this in every single consultation that I do, is I tell people that stress is cumulative. Mm. We have different types of stress. We have good stress, which is called eustress. Mm -hmm. And then we have acute stress, which is your daily stress. You know what? This is when someone comes around the corner in a speeding car um, mm -hmm. and you have to jump out of the way. So that's acute stress. But when acute stress starts becoming chronic, you sit in the traffic every day, the traffic lights aren't working, there's load shedding, um, you know what? There's a, a, a fuel price hike, uh, food's getting more expensive. That now becomes chronic stress. And chronic stress is cumulative. Mm -hmm. If you don't actively diminish and deal with the stress, it keeps on building up. Mm -hmm. And it's so insidious mm -hmm. that most people don't know it until they reach the breaking point. And now they go into adrenal burnout, adrenal fatigue. Mm -hmm. Um, the signs and symptoms, weight gain, sleep disturbances, libido, sex drive, 
uh, hypertension and um, you know what? Anxiety. Anxiety and depression. And eventually that leads to disengagement. Mm -hmm. So how do we... How uh, do we uh, can I interrupt? Mm. I want to go back. She mentioned the female side. Mm. Please go to the male side mm. then. So men tend to deal with acute stress differently to women. So we're in the presence of testosterone. Testosterone is more of an aggressive problem-solving hormone. It's less about survival and more about so solving something. Mm. So men respond. So that's why as well when you're looking at a fasting type of nutrition protocol – um, men tend to respond to a intermittent fasting program far more effectively than women because, yes. yeah, and that's that's why women, when they fast initially, there's a little bit of fat loss and then it doesn't work anymore yeah. because you're creating a starvation environment where, in the presence of testosterone, it's okay. You can you can go for much longer. You there's more endurance in the in the male body from a hormonal point of view dealing with stress because of the elevated or should be a more elevated testosterone. Okay. So women are there to protect and nurture and to survive longer so that they can keep the species. And this is purely on an anthropomorphic mm -hmm. um, frame, not not a social frame. Um, so yeah, but there is a point where men also stop seeing results, and this is where this chronic stress is not being dealt with, especially the emotional side of things. They Absolutely. Cannot, yeah, they don't. We you know a lot of people, men and women, haven't been given the tools to really access this emotional. Um, stress and know how to process it and deal with it. And there are ways, but we're not given these tools. No, no, people don't know what they are. I think one of the things that we also need to remember what, uh, when it comes to stress is for hormones yeah. that are involved with stress. And here, you know what, these two big ones, uh, cortisol and glucagon. Mm -hmm. um, what happens when you secrete cortisol? Cortisol is responsible for maintaining blood pressure and blood glucose levels. Mm -hmm. So when cortisol levels climb, you, you shift cort um, glucose back into the bloodstream. Mm -hmm. Why? Because the body needs to have energy to react and think. Mm -hmm. The other thing that you do is you elevate your blood pressure. Mm -hmm. um, again, you need to get blood to the vital organs and to muscles and the brain so you're going to increase the pressure so that there's more of it. You're going to increase your pulse rate. And, you know, when cortisol levels stay high for longer periods of time, it has a negative impact. Glucose causes inflammation. It damages blood vessels. Now, damaged blood vessels with high pressure – creates further damage to the blood pressure. Now you get stiff artery disease. Now you start impacting your kidneys. You start impacting your liver. You start impacting your brain. And you create dysfunction in your fat cells. So everything stops working. And <clears throat> I think a lot of this is of the pandemic that we're seeing is change in food availability Salt, sugar, fat mm -hmm. in our foods, the fact that we are not moving anymore, and our stress levels that are through the roof. Mm -hmm. Are there other things, Nikki, that cause obesity? Does genetics play a role? To an extent, genetics plays a role. So genetics, you know, the, the cliche is genetics is um, the bullet and lifestyle is the gun. 
So you have potential to have gene- – well, you know, if your family or many people in your family have diabetes, you might resign yourself to the fact that, well, it's in my family, it's more, most likely going to happen to me. But if you don't do the things your family d- does – so if your family sits around, you know, on the couch watching the rugby, drinking beer and eating packets of chips and lots of sugar every weekend, yeah, of course you're going you're gonna to switch that genetic switch on. And you're also going to get sick like everyone else because you are creating an environment that facilitates that disease. But you can also go, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go for a run in the morning. I'm going to eat a, high, like a, a well-balanced breakfast that includes proteins, healthy fats, you know, lots of fiber. And I'm not going to participate in what's going to switch on that genetic predisposition. Mm. Genes are very misunderstood. It's not a life sentence. It's choice. I, I, you know what? I like what you just said because <clears throat> I always use the analogy that um, when you look at genetics, you look at risk. It's a risk. You have a risk of being in an accident every time that you get into your car. So if I drive from here to Sandton City, which is a half kilometer away, yeah. Um, there's a risk that I might be in an accident. But let's change the conditions. Let's suddenly say that the visibility is um, deteriorating. It's raining. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've changed my environment. I've, therefore, my risk change. It's it's not the genetics that change. Mm. You are able to mitigate or enhance your risk. And that's, I think, what people don't want to understand. I don't think it's that they can't. I think that they don't want to understand. And I really like that because there's always, and you've obviously come across this in your practice and I come across it in mine a lot, is people are looking for magic bullets. They're looking for, Mm. I don't want to change my behavior. Mm -hmm. I want to eat my chocolate every night because I did as a kid and it never made a difference. But now that I'm 45, I'm putting on weight. It's like, why? You know, it's not fair. We're not willing to make the change. So give me a, a pill or give me something I can do just to make it go away so I don't have to deal with this. Never works. <laughs> so, Elise, can I can I tell them about the patient that we saw two days ago? Yes. So, I had a family come into my office: a mother, her um, second husband, and the daughter. Now, the daughter's thirty-seven years old. She's one point five eight meters tall. Mm-hmm. Okay. She weighs one hundred and sixty kilograms. Ooh. So I saw her last. And when I saw, uh, as I picked up her file in the front, the mother got up after we, both Elise and I have seen her. She got up and said to me, oh, by the way, you know what? She doesn't like needles. Okay. So I walk into my office with the wrong file. And as I walk in, I say, oh, by the way, I hear that... Um, you don't like needles. Um, and she said to me, if there's needles involved, I won't do it. So I said to her, okay, but you do know that I have to take bloods from you. No, you're not going to take bloods. And I looked at her and I almost threw my pen at her. And I said, so what do you want to treat me? No, you have to help me. I said, but I can't. How can I do something that's safe? No, but give me tablet. Mm. It's, it's, give me tablet. You need to help me. Mm. But she is not even willing to admit mm-hmm. that there's something wrong. 
When I asked her why she was there, I, 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 I don't know. My mother said I should come mm. at 160 kilograms. Okay. Yeah, so, but I think that's the mental part of it as mm. well. She's Absolutely. Already, she's shut down. Um, she's really, this is beyond me. I can't do anything mm. about it. That's her mind. Yeah. Set. And the mental state that got her to 160 kilos, sure. I think you need to work on that. It's like, how did you? Because yeah, you're that's a, the first thing. How did you that get goal? there? Yeah. You know? What is going on emotionally that you ate so much of the wrong stuff and didn't see it coming mm-hmm. or did but just chose to ignore it? There's something else going on there. But, you know, exactly what you said, being able to take responsibility for your actions is everything. In, in our practice, we have a rule. And I say to every single patient, one thing in my practice that I don't tolerate is bullshit. For one simple reason – I, I can give you all the tools that you need, but if you're not going to use them, if you're not going to put in the effort, you're setting yourself up for a very expensive failure, and I will not take part in that. Yeah. And you know what? So many people just absolve themselves from responsibility, mm-hmm. they walk into your practice, my practice, and say, but they've been to this one and this mm-hmm. one and this one, and they've done everything and nothing works. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Those people did exactly the same or suggested exactly the same as we are going to do. So why did you not put in the effort? So, okay, we know why we're gaining weight. Okay, but there's another topic mm. for gaining weight. And that is going to be one of the questions from the lay people. I am on depression medication, and that's making me gain weight. And Do that contraceptives also play a role? Contraceptives. Depends on the person. The, yeah, mm. but that's the… That's excuse. That's, that's the story. There. Mm. So, exactly. there, yeah. are, there are certain of your antidepressants specifically formulated… To increase appetite. Um, here I'm thinking of um, Relpax, I think it's the one. Um, it's something with an R. The word will come, uh, it, it will come to me. And they were um, developed for anti- uh, patients with depression who lost appetite completely. Um, some of them were developed for patients with anorexia and bulimia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, certain of them can cause weight gain, but, but not excessive weight gain. Let's be honest here. 80% of our patients in our practice are mm. on antidepressants yeah. or an- anxioticums. Mm. Without being assessed properly. Yeah. And that is the problem we sit with in our practice. Mm. Mm-hmm. And mm. that's where the people I see or the patients we see – is gaining weight. You know what? I also think that if we look at those kind of patients, you will see that they are on two or three. Exactly. Um, or sometimes four mm. psychoactive drugs. Sure. That's um, literally, an upper, a downer, an in-between, and a stabilizer. So I think this is my opinion. Obesity, mental health goes hand in hand. Absolutely. Absolutely. You and it's not only because I eat bad or this mm. or that or that, mm. it's because of my mental state mm. 
is, I, I want to say that, stop. I agree with the, you completely. The World Health Organization um, classified obesity as a chronic multifactorial disease Direct. involving hormones, diet, cardiovascular system, psychoactive and psychological system, as well as, you know, with normal physiology. Mm -hmm. The only way that you can treat it is with a multidisciplinary approach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And this will include lifestyle changes, diet, exercise, sleep, management of stress, psychological counseling and support. Mm. Um, you, you cannot do this. 30 years ago, Nikki, how many people were on diets? Maybe 20%, 10%. Okay. Now it's and at 90% you know what, people. It's, it was women that wanted to get ready for the bikini season. Exactly. Um, I remember my mother would, when summer comes, start drinking her lemon water in the morning. <laughs> yes. And, you know, it, instead, <laughs> of, instead of having a sandwich with us, she would have a Provitas. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, something like that. Think. And it's easy. Everyone lost weight so easily yeah. then. Yeah. So, but <laughs> they were active. You yeah. know, they played two or three different sports. Um, they were running around. She did her own homework, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that's changed. So, yes, Elise, you're absolutely right. You cannot treat obesity if you don't treat the underly underlying psychological state. And yes. just to that point, because you're absolutely spot on. So when a person is going through stress and emotional stress or dealing with, you know, retrenchment or divorce or whatever's going on in their lives and they're feeling anxious and depressed and they're not able to pull themselves out of it, they go to the psychiatrist or their GP and they get given this cocktail that you're talking mm -hmm. about. And that instead of the, the doc saying to them, I'm going to give you this for three months, but I need you to see a therapist. I need you to get some exercise and I need you to do the work and take responsibility for your state. I need you to action something. That doesn't happen. They go, well, here's a prescription. I'm going to give you a six-month repeat and I'll see you in six months' time just to repeat the prescription. And they're not giving any this, this patient a locus of control of their own lives. Yeah. So then they put on weight and they go back to the doctor and say, well, now give me something to take the weight off because I'm still – haven't been given any kind of the steering wheel for my life yet. And the weight is making me more depressed. Yeah, more depressed. But we do this to children now. So almost every child that comes into my practice is on something for ADD and something for depression. Mm. Why is a child on an antidepressant? That blows my mind because we should be, you know, that child should be, what's going on in that family that, what is going on? Why aren't we dealing with these things? We are just expecting the doctor to give us something to make the feeling go away. The feeling's not going to go away. It's just going to be blunted. It's going to get bigger and bigger and become a bigger problem. And this, I think, exactly where we're causing these issues. I mean, teaching children from a young age to farm out their emotions and their feelings to a pull, to make it go away and get it yeah, fixed. I think Scary. one of the things that we see in our practice, and I don't know if you see it as well, mm. when your patients come to you from other providers, is that... No one took the time to fully understand the holistic picture. Mm -hmm. um, you walk into the GP and you know what, you complain about something and that gets treated without the GP taking the time to understand where it comes from, yeah. why it's happening, 
what the actual condition is and treating the condition instead of just the symptoms. Um, it, it's, it's all becoming too instant. Um, sure. And the work that <clears throat> we do in our practice and the work that mm-hmm. you do is an holistic approach to health, well-being and quality of life. Mm. But that takes time. Um, the consults are difficult. Yeah. They take time. It takes a lot of effort on the patient's side. Um, mm. You know, but it's it's not as easy as okay. I walk in, make me better. It's okay. I'm not feeling the best. What can you do to help me to help myself? Exactly. That's that's the difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, Nikki, why are diets failing? Mm. Diets are failing because they're not sustainable. So what I mean by that is. If you decide to try an intermittent fasting diet or a ketogenic diet because it worked for your friend, um, it may not work for you. Now, the problem is really all diets do work in the short term. When you start to become, whether it's a blood group diet, which is also nonsense, uh, it doesn't matter what diet you choose, frankly, cabbage soup diet. If you're eating really badly one day and the next day you're paying really good attention to what you're putting in your mouth, even if it's unsustainable, you're going to see a result. You're going to feel different. You're going to see some fat come off and you think, well, it's working. Let's keep going. But you can't keep going on a cabbage soup diet. You, you know, can't I'll, keep you doing know on a ketogenic I, diet. I always refer to people that think that they can starve themselves and yeah. is just go to Survivor Island. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? All of those people lose an inordinate of amount of weight. Why? Because they're not being fed. Yeah, they're not being so fed. So you will lose weight. Yeah. But your health suffers. Yeah. And you eventually your brain takes over and goes, well, I need cake. And you, you'll be helpless to fight that. And slowly those old habits trickle back in because you don't understand the mechanism of what's working and what's not working. I've just realized that I need a lobotomy. <laughs> the cake side lobotomy. <laughs> so, yeah, if you're craving sugar – if you don't understand why you're craving sugar, you're going to be helpless to do anything about it. I, I actually think one of the things that people need to understand is that food is a drug. It is. Because it has a dopamine response. Mm-hmm. If, if you do something that's pleasurable, whether it's eating cake or chocolate or going for a run or shooting heroin, it has an effect on dopamine in the what brain. What about the taste buds? Ah, taste buds are Hold on, I'm busy with my story. (laughs) (laughs) And what dopamine does in the limbic system of the brain is it's responsible for reward. So you get a reward. You do something, it's nice, there's a reward. Mm -hmm. And then it becomes repetitive and it motivates. So, and this is where addiction comes from, whether it's to sugar, whether it's to coffee, whether it's to drugs, whatever, it's that dopamine response. Mm-hmm. And one of the drugs that should be regulated in our society is maybe not so much cocaine, but sugar. Oh, for sure. Mm, because it's legal and widely available, we don't think of it as a dangerous thing. Same as alcohol. We don't think of it as, well, we do, but not as much as we do, say, cocaine, for example. But it's as addictive and as dangerous, maybe more so because it's so widely available. So, yeah, so if we are addicted to food, we've got to find other ways to stimulate or get satisfaction through a dopamine response that isn't food. 
And what I say to many, and it works for me, is instead of eating cake, I'd rather go buy shoes. It gives me the same amount of dopamine. <laughs> and so if I've got to go and satisfy a craving, <laughs> yeah. I'd go and like buy something rather beautiful rather than eat something. And it does the same thing in my brain. But everyone's different. And for many of us, exercise creates that dopamine response. And it doesn't have to mean you've got to go and run for an hour. Okay, so, but exercise so can be walking around. Exactly. Uh, a um, dancing. A mall uh, while no, 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 no. walking around. I, I just wanted to say, walking around in Manolo Blahniks looking for your next Jimmy Choose. 10,000 steps in the shopping mall. Fantastic. And then you reward yourself with a pair of shoes. Like, who needs cake? I mean, I don't need cake. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So diets are failing because they're not sustainable, mm. number one. And here I want to uh, point one out. Everyone have heard about this one. Slender Wonder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> why does Slender Wonder work for people? Because or why does Slender Wonder work? It's starvation diet. Have Absolutely. you seen the diet? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Nikki, for um, the average woman, mm. okay, what, what does an average woman weigh? Let's make it… 70 kilos. 70, mm. okay. So for the average person who weighs 80 mm-hmm. To lose weight sustainably, mm-hmm. um, what should her calorie count be? Mm. About 1,500, round about there, maybe a little sure. bit less, 1,200? What if 1,500? Because less than that, One you're five. going to, you're One not going to cope Okay. So, what, I know what the calorie count is for someone on Slender Wonder. Six hundred. Six hundred calories. Oh, yeah. So you starve, and what happens to the body then? It immediately goes into a stress reaction, mm-hmm. um, and you you don't lose weight, you lose muscle, mm-hmm. and you lose bone. You don't lose fat. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the problem with starvation diets. Calorie restriction works. Yes. Mm. But at what cost? That's exactly it, and it's it's chemistry. First, then calories. Um, And, you know, what I love when I know what my protocol works is when people come to me and they've lost two or three kilos of body fat in, what, three weeks? And they say, but I don't understand. I'm eating more than I've ever eaten in my life. Mm -hmm. And my jeans are too big. I've got to go and buy a new wardrobe. It's like... That's where the chemistry is balanced. That's where we're not making more insulin than we should. That's so where it's, it's managing the metabolic disease. Exactly. It's managing the metabolism. Then the calories, you self-regulate your calories. You're never going to count calories. You're simply not going to eat more than what you need because you satiate it. The kinds of foods that you're eating is keeping you satisfied. So you don't go looking for the calorie-dense foods anymore. You, ha- you are satisfied on what you're getting. And to get I, that right's a trick. I think one of the... The big things is incretin. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we desensitizing our bodies to incretin. Now, uh, yeah. incretin is a hormone that's released, or it's a group of hormones mm. because it uh, includes ghrelin. Mm. Um, it's a group of hormones that's released by your gut, by your stomach, mm-hmm. to tell the brain, look, you had enough to eat. Mm-hmm. And I was one of those people. Um, Elise. Um, you saw me. I I could eat three plates of food, and people would look at me and say, "Where the hell do you put that?" And it was just I never felt full. Yeah. And the new weight loss medications, and we'll we'll discuss it in in mm-hmm. our next 
program that we do on weight. I think it's towards the middle of next month. Mm-hmm. Um, we, the new anti-obesity medications work specifically on uh, the incretin-based um, gluc- um, GLA. Mm, GLP-1 receptor. Yeah. Mm. So um, I can never get that right. So, okay. Um, starvation diets don't work. Calorie counting does it work? No. No, it becomes an obsession. And anything where you have to weigh, measure, and, and stress yourself over, have I hit my calories? The perfect example is if I said to you, you can only have 600 calories a day, um, doesn't I matter where have, it comes from. I, I can have a bar one. Yeah. And that's, that's your 600 calories. calories. You're oh, never going to lose you weight. You haven't eaten. Exactly. 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 So, so what, what can you eat for 600 calories? You can eat a little bit of celery. You can have probably a green apple, a chicken breast, and three provita, and you've hit your 600 calories. Like, that's not food. You're going to starve, and you're going to have a serious rebound effect. Sure. You're going to not The problem well. is the moment that you stop with that calorie restriction, you're going to put fat back. With interest. And not muscle. Mm. <laughs> And that's, I think, one of the biggest problems that we have mm. with um, diet is we lose muscle and it has a negative impact on bone density <coughs> and bone health as well. Um, I, I saw an article, I haven't read it, that scientists have now found a, 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 a supplement or a hormone that switches on brown fat. Oh, wow. To work. I'll read the article. I'll pass it on to you. Sister Elise, you had a couple of questions earlier on that you wanted to ask Nikki. Have we answered them or? I don't know if we have the answer of why are people getting fatter. I do think we have the answer, but we haven't said it out loud Mm -hmm. yet. We did say the symptoms is the sleep is the um, not good, the stri- we have too much stress, etc., etc., mental health. But I want to go back and say we don't have a sense of community anymore where your support system came from your community. We mm-hmm. all chase having a job. We forget about our children that needs to have proper um, family attention. environment, in- attention, etc., so I think what we in the practice do right is to make the patients feel they're part of the community now again. And how are we going to get that out there? Mm. Because when they leave our practice, they go back into their society or their family environment, et cetera, et cetera. How do we change that? People don't go as often and as diligent to church anymore to mm. go to the community there and I think that's the illness of our times you're absolutely correct I mean, I that's why time. people are getting fatter and fatter and just again to that point is very I always ask when I see a new client is who is in your life who can support you through this mm. process and it's it's astounding how many people glaze over or t- exactly. their eyes go down they want, don't want to answer that exactly. because they don't have anyone who can you know if they're if they're, if they're family or their friends or people who go to the pub every day after work, that's not a supportive environment for health. Yeah. Um, and very often, and I see this more often than I'd, I'd like to admit, is in our families, there are often people who 
are almost potholes to people's health. Sorry. Absolutely. I've Absolutely. had several clients, men, older men who are obese, who come into the practice and they're doing well. And then six weeks in, I get a call from the wife. She says, can I come see you? I thought, well, great. Maybe the wife's getting on board. Maybe the whole family. And I've had two people in the last, let's say, four years come and sit with me and say, please stop it. I can't afford for my husband to lose weight anymore. He'll be attractive to other people. Mm-hmm. Oh, my word. I'm, going, mm-hmm. I'm making sure that this doesn't work. And at, well, at least they put it on the table and they're not like pretending. But, you know, I think we've also got to ask ourselves, who's in our life who's going to support us to be our best version of ourselves? Mm-hmm. And who, for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, emotional insecurity, whatever their reason is, who is stopping us from being the best version of ourselves. I'm not saying the thinnest version, but the best version, which means the healthiest, happiest version of yeah, ourselves. You know, what? you have a condition where people are overweight, but with no health issues. They yeah. don't have diabetes. They don't have hypertension. They don't have elevated cholesterol levels. But you know what? They carry weight. That's a genetic thing, mm. I, I, I think. definitely a um, But when, when weight starts having an impact on physiological systems causing disease and one of the major diseases that people forget is caused by um, weight or obesity is cancer specifically Mm. the bad ones breast cancer, colorectal Mm -hmm. cancer, pancreatic cancer um, and even um, ovarian and endometrial cancer Not to forget kidney cancer. Mm. Guys, these are not the ones that you want to have because usually you detect them late. And, you know, obesity is something that is absolutely preventable. Um, But it takes time. And unfortunately, and Nikki, you, you, you will have to be able to speak to this. It takes money because eating healthy, good food is more expensive than yes. eating crap. Yes, it is. Uh, but it, it really depends on the extent you want to go to making you know, lifestyle changes. So we can argue both sides of that theory. When you look at someone who goes out four or five times a week, spends several thousand rand eating out and several bottles of wine, you look at the food bill and it's really high. And then you come home and you decide to change your life, and you plan and prepare, and yes, you buy the best quality of everything you can afford, it's probably a bit less than what you would spend eating out. But then if you look at people who don't earn much money, and you expect them to change their lifestyles and start eating well, you can't expect someone to go you know, and s- switch their KFC to salmon. That's never going to work. It's going to cost them a fortune, and they can't afford but that. You know what? I, I grew up in a household where staples, uh, Elise, I, I think we grew up in kind of about the same kind of – um, financial environment when we were younger. Um, it was made up of rice, pasta, mm. mincemeat, mm. Uh, maybe chicken. Um, we, we didn't eat a lot of fish. We sometimes had tuna out of a can. Yeah. Um, Vegetables were We lots had lots of veggies. veggies. Oh, the one thing that we did have, which was great, was pulchards yeah. and tomato sauce. Great food. <laughs> tomato sauce wasn't great, but the pulchards was great. Yeah. Um, and um, you know what? We, we managed to get some fruit and veggies in, but it was usually bananas and nachis. Apples. Um, 
apples. Mm. You know what? We didn't have the berries. No. We didn't have a nuts. Um, and those are expensive. Yeah. Very and expensive. Yeah. You know what? Today, I think those things are even worse. I actually saw that um, with the new food inflation, um, things like onions, potatoes, flour, rice, all of those. Basics. In one, in one year, from 2022 to now, um, have increased by up to 37%. So, the price of onions went up by 37%. Potatoes, <laughs> which is a staple, mm. went up by over 30% in one year. That's not your fruit and your vegetables. Yeah. That's not cheese. That's not eggs. Mm. Um, so, Nikki, we're we running out of time. We, how do we make Good choices when it comes to diet. Okay. So you told me one thing, mm. which I will always tell my patients, and maybe you should elaborate on this one. If you want to have a better diet, double your protein, half your carbohydrates, and dress your plate in greens. 100%. So explain that. Okay. So first, before we even go there, is to get real, is to really sit down with a piece of paper and decide what am I doing to ruin my health, be honest about it, and then what can I do to improve it? So if we're looking from a diet point of view, protein feeds muscle, which we know is an endocrine organ, and it helps our bodies use up glucose more efficiently. So we're going to be less chance of being diabetic if we focus on protein. Okay? Protein is essential for every single organism cell in the body. Mm -hmm. It's satiating, stops us getting too hungry, keeps us full. Um, it's probably the most overlooked and most important of the macronutrients. We don't pay enough attention to protein. When you see, when you say protein, I think meat. Okay, I think eggs. Yeah, eggs. And protein in nature always comes with fat, so and that's a good thing. So fat and or healthy fats, naturally occurring fats, and protein stabilizes <coughs> the endocrine system. It stops overproduction of insulin. So that's the first step to preventing diabetes. So yes, meat, fish, eggs. Nuts, not really, but to an extent, eggs are a superfood. And dairy, everyone's so afraid of dairy. Not everyone's, you know, lactose intolerant. Dairy when, is a superfood. When you say dairy, mm. just, just explain dairy because I think there's a very big difference between cow's milk that I get from my sister on the farm. Yeah, big and difference. And what I buy um, from long life, oh, ultra, ultra processed, um, yeah. Pamela. Exactly. So, yeah, you know. When I say dairy, I'm talking about whole milk, preferably, as close to the farm as possible. Um, yogurt that doesn't have sugar in it or gelatine to make it like so a proper when yogurt. You, when you talk yogurt, the stuff that you buy in Pick and Pay and Woolworths and Spine Checkers, that, uh, that's not really yogurt. No, that's melted ice cream, frankly. If you look at the nutritional facts <laughs> of a tub of dairy made. See, and a, this is what I mean. You think you're buying healthy stuff. That's the thing. That's the problem. <laughs> I mean, if you got those little cups that you buy for your kids, it's green and pink with a Barbie on it, and you look at how much sugar is in there, and then you pick up an ice cream, it's the same amount of sugar. That's not yogurt. I mean, but we eat yogurt because it's got probiotics in it and healthy bacteria. Those things don't have they any probiotics. When in they it. say they put it back, why would you put it back? This is a naturally fermented thing. If it was real, you wouldn't have to. Nonsense. It's not food. 
don't eat those things. <laughs> Yogurt smells bad. It smells like rotten milk. It smells, it's you know. sour. It's sour milk. And it also got a little bit of a, a sour taste. Yes, not rotten I, milk, sour milk. As far <laughs> as I know, um, only spa has um, a fully cultured yogurt. Yeah, there's very few. So uh, you, It's the only one that I yeah. know of. So I, I haven't seen them in Willis and I haven't seen them at the Pick and Pay or Jiggers. I haven't seen a proper your, yogurt. Your health Willis. stores like yeah. Jackson's, yes. Uh, yes. if you stay in Johannesburg, they have them, but yes. I, I think it's only the spa that has yes. cultured yogurt. Yes, you'll get that at spa. Definitely the Woolworths yogurts are not those those ones that make your face pucker. No, because that's what yogurt should do. It should it's, it's sour. sour. It's it's a cultured product. And why would you eat that? I'm back to because the taste. <laughs> actually, that mean? yogurt with some berries, and if you want to, don't shoot me. Um, some real honey. farm raw honey <laughs> is it's delicious. Delicious, and if you put some nuts with it, you have it's one dessert. of the best breakfast or desserts. Mm. It's delicious. I'll cook with it, but I won't eat it. Okay. So one of my favorite recipes, which is in the book, is I take a scoop of a well-made whey protein, chocolate flavor, a scoop of that in some full-fat real yogurt, and you mix it up until it becomes a consistency of chocolate mousse. It is superb. Then you put your berries and your flaked almonds on top of that. It is just the most delicious thing. So if you're craving sugar and you're wanting cake and you have that – You'll never want to eat cake after that. It is super satisfying. And it's like eating ice cream. Okay, I'm going to do that. Can I do it with vanilla? You can. It works very well with chocolate. It's delicious. Powder. Okay. Um, Simpiwe has given us the lasso. Nikki, fascinating. We are doing doing a series on on, uh, obesity and weight management. Um, Our next. One will be towards the middle of November, mm-hmm. and there we are going to focus on the new anti-obesity medications, what you should know about them, how they work, and what their pitfalls can be. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Always a fascinating thank discussion. You. Before we go, mm-hmm. if people want to get hold of you, you practice here in Johannesburg. Yeah. Um your contact details are? So the company is Reinvent Health, and the best way is to go on the website, reinventhealth.co.za. Okay. And your book is available on… Everywhere. Um, <laughs> take a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, exclusive. Exclusive Woolworths, books. You know, and it's called? It's called Thrive, Breaking the Diet Rules. Yeah. And it's available as a download on Amazon. It's everywhere. Okay, I have that book. Nikki gave it to me as a present. And the recipes in there are amazing. Thank you. So um, until next time, what are we doing next week? I don't know, Dr. Mark. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I have seven people that work in my office and they expect me to remember everything. So um, we'll be back next week or something. something. Until then, we wish you all the best in health. That was the Tea Health Show, empowering you with knowledge. Download all previous episodes on your favorite podcast platform. The Tea Health Show is brought to you by Tea Clinic.